I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Thorough Talk. I'm Thorough Bailey, and I hope that all of you had an enjoyable Memorial Day weekend and uh, were able to honor those in your lives who have passed on, uh, and in particular, honor those who have given their lives uh, in service uh, for this country. And it's kind of a interesting day-to-day on this episode because it is sort of a memorial, but more of a celebration. Um, as most of you probably know, longtime and legendary head coach, Hall of Fame head coach Jerry Sloan passed away on May 22nd, just last week. So today I just wanted to uh, really celebrate his life and his legacy. And I, and I thought, you know, and my, my producer, Josh Tilton's here with me today. And Josh, what I, what I really wanted to do was just to come unscripted. Yeah. You know, for a lot of our shows, I'll have notes and stuff on the people that we're talking to. And uh, I was coached by Jerry Sloan for a lot of years and got to know him. Uh, and I knew of his, uh, his legacy as a player when he first came. He was first hired by Frank Layden uh, for the Jazz. But I just wanted to come and chat about him and some of the lessons he taught me, a little bit about his life. I mean, uh, if you know... NBA basketball, the legendary NBA basketball. You know Jerry Sloan's stats. You know what kind of a player he was. Uh, people can look that stuff up. But, Josh, I just want to talk about the man. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet him? No, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I, you, we'd see him in games, but no, I never got to meet him. Well, let me tell you, man. If you had, <laughs> if you had, you would have been delighted because – Whatever Jerry Sloan you got at that meeting was the real Jerry Sloan. Yeah. You know, he wasn't different for anybody. And, and I did a lot of interviews last week, and I said, uh, you would get the same Jerry Sloan at a black tie dinner that you, that you and he probably wouldn't want to be at that black tie dinner. <laughs> He'd have his John Deere hat on as well, <laughs> that you would get uh, if you sat behind the bench on one of the games he coached. He may not be as... He may not have been as colorful as as he would have been during the game, but he was the real deal. He was the real deal, man. Well, I mean, it, since we're kind of going unscripted here, like I'll I just want to ask a couple of questions, mostly yeah. because you're going to know things that other people aren't aren't really going to know. Um, I mean, what's what's one thing that the the average NBA Utah Jazz fan probably doesn't know that happened behind the scenes. I mean, there's there's Good years of, of coaching that I'm sure there's a million things that can come up and that you can talk about. But, I mean, now that you've kind of sat on it over the weekend, what's something that's the most impactful to you? 
Wow, that, that's a great question and a loaded question because yeah. as much as um, as much time as I spent along with other guys like John Stockton, Carl Malone, everybody mm-hmm. who came through and was coached by Jerry and was around him in that particular family. Yep. Um, I'm not sure that that there's a lot of like brown groundbreaking stuff that most people didn't know about him. Again, he was the real deal. So you didn't get a different Jerry Sloan uh, if he was sitting down at, to dinner with you and you weren't on the team mm-hmm. than you got in the locker room. Now, I can tell you what, Jerry was business when he came to basketball. There was a there was a switch that flipped when it was time for practice or it was time for a game mm-hmm. or it was time for him to prepare us for that game. He was just totally 100% um, – and on getting the job done. And I think a lot of that stemmed from how he grew up. And, and I mean, if, if you grow up in a place called Gobbler's Knob, <laughs> Illinois, right, I, I think that has a toughness in it yeah. within it itself, right? I mean, <laughs> um, Jerry was the kind of guy who you knew grew up uh, in, in, a, in a difficult era where you had to work for things. You had to walk miles to get to to school, mm-hmm. right, or to get to basketball practice. Um, his dad died at an early age when he was four years old. Wow. So that right there, I think, took on a lot of responsibility for him. But if I had to say one thing that uh, the public may not have had an opportunity to, to know about Jerry or to see him in action in that way was the fact that he was just such a funny individual away from basketball. Really? Yeah, he was just like one of the guys, right? He was just a good guy. He had some, you know, what they would call now as dad jokes. I mean, he yeah. he would just have this almost country way of naturally expressing himself uh, and that was really, really funny, yeah. you know, um, and, and humorous. And it wasn't like, you know, he just told jokes all day. It was the way in which he would tell a story uh and when he did tell a story, Josh, you were enthralled because you knew you were about to learn something. Well, do you think that helped, like, building relationships with the players early on, like, as an assistant and then transitioning? Do you think building those bonds and those relationships, do you think that kind I, of further cemented kind absolutely. of the admiration that players have for him now? You yeah, see it. I agree. Everyone's kind of showing this outpouring amount of support that – I, I don't know if we see that very often. There's only a select amount of coaches that we have in the NBA now that yeah. that players would kind of go to war with, so yeah. to speak. There you go. And and you see it now. I mean, even like Donovan Mitchell, his outpouring of support for for. Do you think that that tra- it helped translate to building relationships with players back then? No question. I think the first thing that happens is you have respect first of all because you mm-hmm. know that in your field of expertise in professional basketball, you're dealing with a man who was the original Bull, right? He's the first guy to ever have his number retired for the Chicago Bulls. Um, And if you did not have a chance to see him play, all you got to do is look it up, go on on YouTube or something, and watch those videos of this tough guy um, holding his own Mm -hmm. and the tenacity in which he played. Uh, you knew right then that he was a tough son of a gun. Yeah. Right? You just knew that. So when Frank Layden hired, I, I was uh, drafted in 83-84, 83-84 season out of NC State, and Frank Layden was the head coach that season. 
Um, and then uh, the year after when Frank hired Jerry to be an assistant coach, everybody on, everybody knew of Jerry's legend coming to the team. Yep. And I think you also knew one of the reasons why, not just because he was knowledgeable at basketball. I mean, he had been a, a head coach in Chicago. Um, that didn't work out as well as he wanted to, but didn't get a lot of wins. But now he, he's got an opportunity to bring some toughness to a basketball team, which is what we needed then. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was going to follow up with. Um, with with the last dance over and seeing Michael Jordan in the 90s Bulls practices, like what what were the Utah Jazz Sloan-led practices like? Yeah. Like the amount of tough, toughness being shown, uh, <laughs> the different mindsets that you'd see through the 90s with the Jazz teams. Like give us, take us in there. You give us a little insight on what that was like. Well, that was a war room. <laughs> it really was. And, and that was because of the, the personality. I mean, yeah. in, in any arena, you know, you talk about business or whatever, your leader, the personality of your leader is going to trickle, to good or bad, mm-hmm. it's going to trickle down to the team. Right. Right. So uh, our practices were a battle every single practice, especially in training camp, because the game's different now, right? Training mm-hmm. camp isn't like the training camp back then. We would go two a days for almost a week straight. And all those practices would be tough and going at it, and getting and guys who weren't in shape paid for it because Jerry always believed that you put the work in during the summer and you come into training camp in shape, wow. and you don't spend a lot of time. So you know there were several of us, including Carl and John and myself, and maybe a couple other guys who came ready because we knew. Yeah. So if you were a rookie coming in there, you probably <laughs> didn't know. So you're going to be throwing up. Right after some practice, after what we call 17s, running the width of the court 17 times mm-hmm. under uh, under a certain time period. But, um, yeah, they were tough. And and here's the thing about Jerry is that uh, we talked about Frank Layden surrounding himself with guys who knew the game. Yeah. I think even synonymous with Jerry's coaching was the fact that he had Phil Johnson, Coach Phil Johnson, mm-hmm. with him. For pretty much all those years, yeah, and what a great asset to have! Just stability, yes. Just the amount of stability. I mean, you look at coaches now; it's it could be a, a whirlwind of of turnover. Yeah. When you look at the the '90s Jazz teams, and even into the late '80s, it's stability. Like it's Sloan, and and they were set up to succeed. That's right. Yeah. And Coach Johnson knew that because uh, one, he was Coach of the Year. Yep. Um, I think he was in Sacramento at the time, or I think it was Kansas City. I can't remember. I have to look that up. But sorry, Coach. <laughs> but um, he could have had he had multiple opportunities. Coach Johnson did to to get head coaching jobs any time through that journey, and he chose to stay uh, with Coach Sloan and build something. Yep. You know, I think that's one the sign of a just a great human being and a great friend, but also understanding um, what. Uh, Larry and Gail had here in Utah, and something special was brewing. Yeah, the foresight to understand like the potential and, and and doubling down and committing to that. I mean, you see it now. I think with Snyder and, and where we're going now, it's kind of the same same situation. We're kind of rebuilding in, in yeah. the exact same way. Uh, what did what did he teach you about the game that that we might not know? Um. The way he taught, I think, was was special in the fact that he wasn't 
trying to be this uh, dictator, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a toughness to him. And sometimes when you're that tough, it's synonymous with do what I say, right? right. And it wasn't that way with Jerry. It was like, first of all, you knew the credibility because of who he was and because of, uh, because of even because of his coaching. Yeah. But you knew he had that knowledge. And if you were on board with it, as, as simple as it may have looked on paper, because mm-hmm. you look at the offenses that the Jazz ran under Jerry Sloan, and they're very simple. Yeah. Right? If you saw his hand go up in a C, you knew that meant that Carl and John were going to initiate that pick and roll up top. Right. It was simple because it was effective. That's right. It, it was everything that you could ever ask from a pick and roll offense now that it didn't have to be overly complex because when you have Malone and you have Stockton, what else What else do you need? What yeah. else could you ask for? I mean, there's some some spots to fill in, but you have the foundation of a great offense that's kind of it, at the time was ahead of its time to be yeah, honest that's right and pretty much unstoppable even though other teams i mean there weren't any secret signals that were hiding what we were going to run teams knew yeah. it was coming yeah right they knew good it luck. was coming good luck because <laughs> you couldn't stop it and, no. that, and that happened for years and years and years and that was the simplicity of uh, our practices like mm-hmm. you know i was a sixth man so and even in practice for the most part i wasn't part of that starting team so right. in practice um, you know, if John and Carl and, and Mark Eaton were and, and whoever else, Bobby Hansen, were the starting team, then you had that second five that had to battle that five every single practice, <laughs> right? And that was our job. You know, my job was to to guard Carl, Carl uh, and. And, what was and it piss like? him off sometimes. What was it right? like? Like, did you have to get under his skin? Like, did you have to try and f- get him frustrated? Because physically, I mean, you're both big, but he's literally. Come on, an you evo- can say it. Come he's on, an come evolutionarily on. sized. Oh, yeah. yeah, let me tell player. you. Something. Let me tell you. Something. Carl Malone's summer workouts were un- <laughs> unprecedented. I'm telling you, lifting the tractor. Is, is that what it was? Lifting the tractor, <laughs> running up a mountain with a parachute. On, I mean, you know, he had some of the craziest workouts, but let me tell you something. He always came prepared. And there was really a, a, a competitiveness in the offseason because John Stockton and Carl Malone set the tone for how good a shape you needed to be in. Mm-hmm. And everybody followed that. So most of Jerry Sloan's teams came in ready to play. We didn't have to yeah. go through that period. But, um, yeah, I mean, my job, first of all, my job was to get better. Yep. Uh, I was a first-round draft pick, seventh pick. So that comes with a responsibility anyway. Mm-hmm. I was there one year before John and two years before Carl. So I got to watch those two kind of manifest their game and, and, and just grow into what Jerry, uh, Frank early on, and Jerry wanted to mold this team into and build it around them. But, uh, yeah, those practices were, were knockdown dragouts. And, yeah, we got into each other's skin, but that's okay. I mean, that's what yeah. family does. You make yeah. each other better. And then once you get tired of beating up on each other, the season starts and you take it out on the other team. But that was the attitude. That was Jerry's attitude. Listen, you, you come ready to, to play and leave it out there 100% and, and you get under their skin. Man, let's take a quick break and we're going to come back and honor Coach Jerry Sloan. And we'll be right back.
two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Thorough Talk, and today uh, we are honoring one of the greatest men I've ever known, and obviously one of the greatest coaches that ever coached the game, and uh, Jerry Sloan, given name Gerald Eugene Sloan, born in, and lived in Gobbler's Knob, Illinois. Uh, I was able to, to go there in McLeansboro, not too far from McLeansboro, when his first wife, uh, Bobby Sloan, passed away cancer. Um, a lot of us flew out there. I was invited to sing uh, at her funeral, or I should say at her life celebration, and uh, got to see where Jerry grew up and lived and all of his tractors and the things that, that he loved away from basketball. Um, just an amazing man. And I want to reflect back on a, a couple of personal instances where I just really appreciated Jerry's trust in me. Uh, it was in 1991, I believe, and we were on the road. I believe we were in Miami, and he invited me to dinner. And Jerry would do that very often, just, you know, whether it was a group of us or um, whether, you know, it was after a game at the bar or something, and and he would uh, – he, he invited me to dinner and started talking to me about how I was doing and how everything was going. And you have to understand that this was abnormal back in those days because a lot of times there was a division between players, right, and staff. And sometimes that line wasn't crossed. But if you were lucky enough to have a great relationship with your coach and that trust, uh, which – I thought was unusual for, you know, teams to have that. But we had that in jury. I know I had it. And he sat me down and started talking about trade rumors and trades and, and the fact that um, there's a possibility that there's a trade in the works for me. And he just wanted to to be upfront and honest with me and say, listen, I've got your back. Uh, I'm going to try to do what I can. We want you here. But you have to understand that – a lot of times this isn't about something you're not doing as much as it is the team wanting a change and they're wanting to, because I was worth something, right, talking about a business deal, that they could get um, what they needed also cash. So I, I, I learned about the business of basketball that night because I think 
part of uh, the naivety of players is not understanding that a trade can happen. Um, just like players can choose to go where they want to go in free agencies, free agency uh, trades happen. So I was a little naive to that until that moment, and I really appreciated him stepping up and and talking to me about it. It wasn't for sure, but it finally came down the pike, and I wasn't really surprised, although I was sad to leave. Um, but what it allowed me to do was the next day after I was traded to Minnesota, um, I went to practice, and it was really unexpected because usually if you're traded, you just kind of leave and nothing's really said. But I showed up at practice, man, and said goodbye to all my teammates, told them I'd see them on the road in Minnesota when we when we kicked their behinds, knowing in my mind that it probably wouldn't happen right away. Um, but it was it was a great moment. I went to Coach, and I just thanked him said, Coach, I appreciate everything you've taught me, from tucking my shirt in and respecting the game to – to just coaching me up and and making me tough, and so I remember those times. They were they were just uh, great moments, learning moments for me, just to be around Jerry and, and just what he brought with him. Um, in later years, when I came back to the Utah Jazz, and then after I retired uh, in 1999, after that short season, I did uh, had a speaking engagement that I a uh, did for. John Deere, the John Deere Company. And as, as a gift, they sent me about 50, 60 caps. And I liked caps, but I, I knew I wasn't going to, you know, wear 50, 60 John Deere caps. Kind of wasn't my style in a way. But I knew whose style it was. I boxed those things up, and um, I was broadcasting a, a game one night. and met Jerry in the hallway and said, Coach, uh, I just wanted to give you this. It's nothing much, but uh, he didn't open it right there. But uh, just a small token to tell you how much I really appreciate the impact you've had on my life. And so I gave him those 50 John Deere hats, and and he saw me a few days after and really thanked me for them. Uh, and, he, and he had this look on his face like it was one of the best gifts he'd ever gotten. Uh, but um, this man will always be his legacy will always live within me, will always uh, be a part of me teaching my kids. It always has been uh, some of the simple things in life and, and what to focus on. Um, I, I do believe that part of Jerry's, uh, Josh Pollitt, part of Jerry's zest for life is the fact that, uh, you know, back in, I'm trying to remember what year it was, I believe it was uh, 1977 when the Evansville college team plane crashed uh, on takeoff, and the whole team was killed. Uh, I believe Jerry had been offered the job as head coach there. And he talked about this, uh, I think in one of his interviews, and maybe to to us, that... uh, he understands, he realizes that that would have been him on that plane had he taken that job. And so I think part of that is really him looking back and understanding how precious life is and how we should live every moment. Um, but listen, this man was tough. And if you if you sit, if you ever have a chance to talk to a guy like Carl Malone or John Stockton or anybody who's 
who's played under Jerry, um, you would get the same thing. All these lessons that he taught along the way. So I'm just appreciative, man. I'm appreciative to be able to celebrate the man, the legend, uh, the guy who taught me so much about uh, how to approach things, right? How to approach it with a seriousness and, and put everything you have into it. And so wanted to dedicate today's episode to Jerry. Jerry, rest easy. I know you're coaching him up up there in heaven. Uh, and I know they're going to listen to you too, man. So this has been a, a great episode of Thorough Talk. I appreciate you joining me and celebrating the life of Coach Jerry Sloan. Thank you for being with us today, and we'll be back to talk next week on Thorough Talk.